What time is it? 8 30. <laughs> So welcome to this January 2022 edition of the Livingston Experience. We're finally out of the health and safety protocols. So I'm joined once again by Darren Hill. And Daz, the big question for everyone at the moment, have you been able to avoid COVID to this point uh, in 2022? Miraculously, yes. I've been a close contact before Christmas, but nothing. Yeah, I'm a hermit. Clean. <laughs> Well, I, what I do every Sunday <laughs> at the moment, I'll give you an insight into our household. I line up the whole family against the wall and I throw wrenches at them. And I say, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge COVID-19. So <laughs> then we just get on. Fortunately, Jeez, it's like Festivus household down there. <laughs> Goodness. Goodness me. So... Uh, so at the moment we've, we've dodged COVID-19, but fingers crossed, uh, it stays that way. Although obviously I have, I don't have the, the greatest, uh, the greatest confidence that that's going to be the case, but the good news is we've been able to watch some, some basketball over the holiday period does, and we're finally back into a little bit of normality within our schedule. So hopefully we can start doing this again on a week to week basis. I'm going to just really just I want tonight just throw some questions about notice to you and, and maybe cover some of the big issues within the league and sort of bounce off off you that way I'm going to start with uh, a question looking at the top end of the league yeah first question about notice should the Phoenix Suns be considered the prohibitive favorites in the NBA at the moment because that's where I'm sitting. I look at Phoenix and I just think they're in a tier of their own, the way they're playing and the way they're looking and the experience that they got from last year. Do you feel that's the case as well? Or do you sort of see that there's a couple of other teams with them right at the moment? Oh, that, look, that's a good question without notice. And I'm going to say they would be the mathematical, and if I had to put money on, most likely team to make the finals from the west i'll go so far as that does right say they are the favorites to make the finals for a whole host of reasons um which you probably are alluding to continuity uh consistency depth uh when your best player on your team in a in a season where there's all kinds of injuries and covid things happening and the best player on your team is your point guard um, you can probably endure guys coming in and out, right? So the Chris Paul can be that that just um, that guiding light and the force to get them to play whatever nine guys he's suiting up with on a night to get them to play a certain way. That's why I think that Phoenix has got going for them, right? Is it's remarkable the level he's still playing at. Um, so yeah, I would say they would be prohibitive favorites from the West, but I can't say that only because we. I mean, we just all know what's lurking. If you did have a, um, if Kyrie changes his tune, Kevin Durant's knee is okay. And if the Bucks ever get a healthy compliment to their big three, I'd still put Brooklyn and Milwaukee's ceiling above Phoenix's. So that's a cop-out answer, Daz. So I go prohibitive favorite to win it? No, but definitely like that's kind of like my no-brainer safe money bet. Of, well, if you want to even say any... Yeah. I mean, my yeah, any team to get is, to the finals. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's uh, and Sorry. getting getting to the finals coming out of the West. My my view is 
I think they could roll through the West. I think they could come through the West and lose like one or two games and be just sitting there waiting for Milwaukee or Brooklyn or, you know, uh, even the Philly or Miami. And it's, I think the East is going to be a bloodbath, uh, particularly in that yeah. second, third rounds. And it's just going to be much more of a slog getting through that conference than what it's going to be uh, coming through the Western Conference would be my guess. So I think that gives them an edge. And I just, I'm, you know, we're sort of picking nits a little bit in the East, but I just sort of seeing some warts on some of these teams. I do think the buyout market's going to be as significant this year as it's ever been, because I just think these teams have such uh, obvious roster holes that they can probably fill in, at least to some extent within the buyout market. Uh, again, particularly some of those teams within the East that you look at. So that's why I sort of put Phoenix in a tier on their own at the moment, uh, because I just think there's there's so much continuity there. They're healthy at the moment, touch wood. And I think the Western Conference is just not quite as strong at that top end as what the Eastern Conference is. Yeah, I think that's fair. And also we've seen, um, they're getting healthy, but DeAndre Ayton's missed a lot of time, Daz. Right. So that's what's been interesting for Phoenix is they've, you know, they've done a lot of this this year. He's played, played he's played all, oh, he's played 28 games. Okay. So he's missed, he's, he's missed, missed a few games. lately. Bismarck Piomba has actually come in and played really well. And uh, Jalen Smith, the second year guy, has, has shown some signs in different games where you think, I don't think he'll be an, I, I'm, I'm not sure he's going to be a, a, a feature this year in the playoffs, but I think they've got a player there that can be an NBA player within their rotation for a number of years. So they've sort of, Aiton booing out has allowed them to pick Biombo off the scrap heap and he's looked really good in the chances that he's got. And yeah. it's also given Jalen Smith an opportunity. Yeah, and they're they're just... They're just deep, right? And they've even, you know, the big moves, they made, quote, big moves they made, like the Landry Shamit movies, he hasn't really paid off. But they just, I think what you're seeing is that, again, Chris Paul, you know, what's the, the rising tide lifts all ships? I mean, that's just Chris Paul's mantra. He just makes everyone around him better. Everyone around him is, is better. Mikel Bridges is having a sensational year, right? Booker's, Booker's shooting really well. When he's not getting spooked by opposing teams' mascots, he's, he's having a good season. Um, I watched that live. Yeah, I was wondering what 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 happened there. Uh, what are you doing? Because as you what know, what are you going on about my, my league pass team this year? So to watch that game, and then I'm like, what what spooked him there? I was totally because uh, I knew it was an empty stadium. So I'm thinking, what what happened there? And then of course to see the replays, the Raptors. Uh, the Raptors mascot was making signs while he's trying to shoot a through throw to ice the game. So uh, yeah, he, he complained about it, of course, which I don't even understand why he was allowed to complain about it. Like normally in a game, you've got people waving Richard Simmons at you and then all sorts of different things within the stadium. So I'm not sure why the mascot would have put him off. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's a vendetta that we don't <laughs> know about. Yeah, something. But uh, yeah, no, look, it's, that's sort of been, I think it was one of the few things I got right in my, my preseason predictions. I thought Phoenix would just pick up right where they left off and roll and, and they have, and they've got quite a distance down. They've got three and a half, four game lead now in the West. So they can start to be, not start, but probably they're putting themselves in a position to be really strategic about rest and rotations and things like that. If they do, you know, start well, to get even more space the between them and the Warriors. I mean 
Yeah. They're not leaning on any particular player in that roster the way I think uh, and Milwaukee's already been lent on Giannis quite a bit. Certainly what Philly are learning on Embiid. We saw uh, Nanette's arguably already lent on Kevin Durant a little bit too much. And I saw, just on Devin Booker, I saw him play the Spurs uh, earlier in the week and he had 54 points, but just totally in the flow of the game. Nothing was forced. Everything just came to him. And he's in... He's in even better form this year, I think, than he was last year, if you, if you thought that was possible. So I think they're perfectly placed. Yeah. The one thing I would say, the one stat that jumps out at me, and I'm just kind of glancing through basketball reference stuff here in real time is where I go. The thing that would tell me that it's sustainable is they're number one in the league in field goal percentage, right? So they're getting good shots. They're getting the right shots and they're getting those shots consistently. Yeah. The number one in the league in field goal percentage. So they're really, really efficient. However, they are number two in the league in opponent three point percentage allowed. So that means they're getting super lucky. Their opponents are only shooting 32% from deep. And so that'd be the one thing I'd say you could see a materials, you know, change if there is sort of a regression there. And as we all know with, we don't need to get in the debate here, but opponent three-point field goal percentage is not a thing. You can't prevent their percentages. You can prevent three-pointers allowed, but once the ball leaves their hands, you got no influence over it, basically. So that'd be the one thing, just kind of at a glance, where you might say, you know, gosh, if that kind of if that bumps to you know league average thirty-five percent, you might start to see some closer games. But that being said, they're also really, really elite in crunch time. I don't have the numbers in front of me but they are some unbelievable, I, I think I heard on the mismatch, their net rating is something like a plus 42 net rating, Daz. That's not an exaggeration. Mm. They are, they uh, per 100 possessions, of course, right? Their net rating is like, basically it's like a 120 offensive rating and an, an 80 defensive rating in crunch time this year. Something just remarkable, which again, I think is a testament to their defense and to Chris Paul and just the way he controls he controls the game and the tempo and limits turnovers and gets good shots, no matter if it's in the first quarter or in crunch time. So, so yeah, I think I'm actually, as I talk through it, I probably am Des, saying they've got by far the highest floor. They don't have the highest ceiling. I think that's still probably Brooklyn number one, Milwaukee number two. And dare I say, if you had a healthy Kawhi and Paul George, I might, I might sneak Clippers up there with, Golden State maybe tied for third highest ceiling. So I don't think Phoenix's ceiling is high as the others. But my goodness, in a year with change and COVID, what are the chances these teams ever reaching that ceiling? Boy, yeah, less and less likely, right? And we can probably get into that later. But that's, you know, as, as, as far as they race ahead, I think it's as much as a, they're going to see some of the competition fall behind. Well, the two things I'd say about that is, the first is that the leader in opponent three-point field goal percentage last year was the New York Knicks. So I don't know what, what their ranking is this year, but that was one of the reasons why a lot of analysts were a bit down on the Knicks going into this year. And as it's turned out, rightfully so, because that's just not a sustainable point. statistic. And yeah. the second is, I love watching Chris Paul, particularly this version of Chris Paul. You watch those these Phoenix games and he knows does not only like who's hot, who needs the ball at a certain time, but where they need the ball. Like if if Mikhail Bridges is catching it, he's catching it in exactly the right position to get his shot up. 
every single time. Like the attention to detail that Chris Paul has as the point guard is I'm not sure if we've seen a guy do it to that level over such a long period of time, maybe in NBA history. I mean, because obviously you go to the John Stockton's and, and things like that. The John Stockton had very similar teammates and obviously Carl Malone for pretty much his entire career. Whereas Chris Paul's done this at multiple stops and just, but watching him now, he is just on another level in terms of his hoops IQ and just the way he sets the plate for these guys uh, on Phoenix. I mean, it's just such an easier game for Mikhail Bridges than it is for say, uh, you know, a Devin Vassell on the Spurs who doesn't have Chris Paul there. I think, you know, in a vacuum, I think they're both probably similar level players. One guy's playing with Chris Paul and one guy isn't. Yeah, and the final thing, I, I agree with everything you just said. And my final thing on, on the Suns would be, again, in, this is an entertainment business and increasingly in the regular season, you got to find, you know, joy within a single game or a single storyline. And again, with all the, all the COVID stuff and all the replacement players and 10-day contracts and G-leaguers getting promoted, some nights it's tough, right? The product is tough. I've had nights where I'll, uh, you know, when I do get a chance to sit down and watch a bunch of games, I'll be like, ooh, bloody rock fight tonight. Or, you know, it's an anonymous anonymous team against anonymous team. But um, the last thing I'll say about Phoenix is if you got a chance in your home and you wanted to see a guaranteed high-quality NBA product, watch the Phoenix Suns. That's your, that's your default. You're going to get an NBA product every single night, which is um, increasingly worth something to me, Daz. Mm. Um, time is precious. I don't want to see, you know, sorry, I don't want to see Chris Middleton and nine nobodies, you know, play um, a Tyrese Halliburton-led group with a bunch of nobodies. It's just mm. not, that's not interesting. That's summer league stuff. So, yeah, good good on Phoenix it's to, see him, to see him like this. And it's just, yeah. Maybe Steve Nash, but again, Nash was more of a scorer, wasn't he? He didn't, he was more of that, he just didn't control, I guess he did in a way, but that's that's probably me the closest comp, just in terms of the way a guy way into his 30s could elevate and lift a team and get it to play a certain way, but um, Nash certainly didn't do it on the defensive end the way Chris Paul does it, so um, yeah, good to see, good to see him doing it. Well, the next question we've had now is we'll move to the Eastern Conference. If I said one of these two teams made the Eastern Conference finals, who would you predict it was going to be? So if I said either Cleveland or Chicago, I guess who's got the better chance out of those two if you think one's going to make the oh. Eastern Conference finals this year? Jeez, that's a good question. Look, I think if you had asked me seven days ago, I'm going to, get, I'm going to say the Bulls. But since then, right, we've seen this vicious Alex Caruso injury, which we don't need to get into again, but the, the world's gone um, pretty crazy about that awful Grayson Allen flagrant on Caruso. He's out six to eight weeks with a fracture in his wrist. And Zach Levine tweaked a knee, if I'm not mistaken, and he's, he has been playing recently. And so I think if you've got, you got some injury concerns and no news on Patrick Williams if he's coming back, so I'd say that just that just from the pure injuries themselves, Daz, I would actually probably say, and putting aside analyzing matchups in the playoffs, Cleveland Daz just seems to be getting better and better and better and better. Whereas I think the Bulls are kind of like they had this early season burst and now they're, you know, running in some injuries and 
Um, maybe we're going to find out that this defense maybe wasn't exactly as vaunted as we thought it was without, say, a Caruso on the wing to see what happens to them. If it gets well, Lonzo's not there at the moment either. What Lonzo, that's it. He's all, sorry, I forgot. You're right. He's got something going on. Does he have a meniscus tear, I think? Mm. So he's out for a month. And I go, that's not the first time Lonzo's had had lower leg injuries, right? And so so that for me is the and same obviously with Zach Levine as well, famously with his ruptured ACL. Um, I don't know exactly what Zach's injury is. I, I don't have the report in front of me, but that's a really good. So I'd say a week ago, I'm going to say Bulls, but now I'm saying Cavs. And the other reason I'd say Cavs, even if the, maybe if they even had Ball and Caruso still around for Chicago, is that what you've got is such a distinctive, uh, again, I, I kind of have a bias for these teams who have a, such a true identity. And Darius Garland, my goodness, if he doesn't win most improved player, I don't, it's going to be a hotly contested um, uh, award this year, the most improved category. But Darius Garland does, holds that team together and is remarkably confident in, in the half court and just almost rinse and repeat on a much more you know, discounted scale. Rinse and repeat the conversation we've had about Chris Paul is they've got themselves a legitimate you know, point guard who gets everyone in the right spots. Um, you know, we've talked all about how the big three seven footers are, are sort of optimized. Um, you got Kevin Love playing, playing real NBA basketball. You got Isaac Okoro who can play the role he's probably meant to play. You know, he's never going to probably live up to the hype of the number five or number six pick, whatever he was, but Hey, as a rugged three and D kind of bruiser who can just defend the toughest guy and be their version of PJ Tucker. That's a pretty fine role. They've got some athleticism off the bench. They got some shooting off the bench. What's, what's his name? Stevens, I like. Chetty can hit a shot. Well, it's Windler's, just a Dylan Windler's a good shooter too. Windler's the other guy. That's right. You've got a shooter there. and So it's pretty remarkable they can lose a, a top lottery pick like Colin Sexton. And, and then it just creates all this space for Garland to absolutely flourish. And then, again, much we just almost can't say it enough. And we'll probably say it in... January, February, March, and April. Just the credit to Kobe Altman zigging when everyone thought they should have been zagging and getting this Mobley marking in Jared Allen thing to work. So far, so good, Daz. And so, and that's just a funky, difficult matchup, right? Well, I mean, I, that's think a, that's is, a, I mean, do you think though over a seven game series, teams will work them out within three or four games and go? Because I think, it, I feel like at the moment, Cleveland coming to town, they're just, like no other team you're going to see before. I mean, I, again, I w- watch a lot of this through the Spurs prism because that's the one team that I'll always watch. And the Spurs were just confused for the first quarter and a half, it seemed like. What's this team doing? Because they're grabbing all these offensive boards without actually crashing the glass because they've just got bigger guys and they can be just grabbing rebounds you don't expect them to grab uh, in a lot of these games. And then at the other end, the, the spacing, it's just sort of seems like it's different, which which would be understandable looking at the, the personnel that they have um, within the team. But they've also, Garland just seems to know which strings to pull at different stages in the game as well, uh, depending on, on the lineups that they have out there. And they've got different, even though they're playing these bigs together, they've got different lineups and different ways that they mix and match the Kevin Love, Mark, and then Mobley, Allen sort of front court rotation. Uh, and and sometimes you're looking at five-man units out there and you think this theoretically just should not work. 
and yet they're a plus sort of 10 they go on those you know 606 runs or whatever it might be within the game but i do wonder whether that sort of weirdness that teams just aren't ready for on a night-to-night basis in the regular season will transfer itself uh to the to the playoffs when the when the play when the sort of seven game series start then yeah, look, I think that's fair. And just the one stat that jumps out at me to su- su- sort of support your notion is that they are one of the worst teams in the league, actually second to the worst in opponent um, field goal percentage. So as, as great as that, that sort of that, that giant lineup looks, they're not doing much to protect, protect the rim or get, you know, keep opponents from getting their shots off. And so I think they got some individual individual defenders like, Obviously, Mobley is elite for a rookie, and Jared Allen's got some got some rim protecting skills, but they're not exactly five guys on a string. Um, so I think you're probably right. They're gonna he already covers up a lot of weaknesses on that team. Like he's he's yeah. one of those defenders that's like having two guys out there. Like a Dray- he's got Draymond Green level awareness and vision on the defensive end. Uh, that's and, and obviously he's not to that level yet, but you can sort of see the potential that he will have. Uh, on the defensive end, he is just an amazing player. That that is, to me, that's already looking like the steal of the draft. And I know he was the third pick, so it wasn't like it was a, a ridiculous yeah. pick or anything. But um, he he to me looks like the best player in the draft uh, already, and projects to be yeah a yeah years to come. But the question of it's just just the comparison against Chicago. So what I'm saying is that. Look, their their average age, like Garland's 22, Mobley's 20, Jared Allen's 23, Markin's 24. None of them have missed a game. They've all Markin and Mike might have missed one or two, right? These guys are young, fit athletes, right? So I kind of go, those four guys, your best four guys are, are playing every single night, right? So I think you go, you just compare that to what the Bulls have already, right? A bunch of injuries, you know, the, 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 the freak accident, not the freak accident, but, you know, Cruiser got in there a bad collision play, but you know, the other guys are just lower leg injuries and mm. for guys who've had lower leg injuries before. And, and I'm sorry, um, Brooklyn fans, but injuries matter, right? You know, in, in injuries and durability and, and fitness matters in, in this league increasingly. So, so um, that's where I'd, I'd still tip the two of Cleveland. I tipped them over Chicago again, notwithstanding the fact they lost a critical guy in Rubio um, for that second unit. But, Probably just because I've seen some of the, a lot of the holes in Chicago's game as well, though, Daz. That that's a that turns into really, really quickly your turn, my turn when Lonzo Ball is standing in the corner. Um, I just don't. That's the one thing I also saw even before he went down. And maybe we talked about this last time. Or I forget if we talked about it offline. But that's the worry for me is about that Chicago that Chicago team is this very, very ISO heavy Lonzo in the corner. You know, ISO pick and roll between DeRozan and Vucevic. And just that looks like an easy team to defend in the playoffs, right? They just only have one or two ways to, to, to attack on the offensive end. They've got no real ball movement to speak of. It's just, you know, uh, elite shot making, you know, by, by DeRozan and, and Levine. So, um, yep, that often does carry you, you know, in a, in a crunch time. In a, in, in a game five or a game seven, you know, that ability to get your own shot off. But can that win you seven games? I think is the, as Ryan sort of say that they've got some, they've got some gaps to fill.
Mm. Well, they're four and six in their last 10, uh, the Bulls, so that they have struggled a little bit since Levine. And you got Levine, Lonzo, and now Caruso. Like, they're going to fall away a bit. And something to keep an eye on, there's three and a half games covering the top seven seeds in the Eastern Conference. So what you're going to have is a very good team is going to fall into that play-in uh, zone. Now, I'm sure they'll win the playing game, but it's still a, it's, it's a bit of an annoyance for one of these teams, uh, top seven teams in the East. And most teams are probably sort of, you're looking at it and thinking, well, Charlotte's probably the most likely to stay in that seven seed, but you just don't know. I mean, you know, a Giannis injury in the Bucks could easily fall in there if Giannis misses a fortnight. Uh, and oh, yeah. You know, you, you, obviously, the Sixers have, are heavily reliant on Embiid, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, any of these teams could end up falling into that seven seed. And then not only that, you've got to come through that playing game and then you might end up facing the Nets or the Bucks. Uh, in the first round if, if they fall into that one or two seed themselves. So it's not necessarily, it, it, it's certainly something you need to keep an eye on. And, and the Bulls, as good as a story as they've been, with all those injuries in the next few weeks, I, I haven't checked their schedule and how tough it is, but uh, they could very easily, I think, fall down the standings in the Eastern Conference and find themselves uh, in the playing game rather than hosting a first round, which I think most people yeah. uh, pencil them in for. If you think about the East as well with Kevin Durant, that is now out, what? He's going to be out at least a month, maybe longer. Oh, longer. Right. So, yeah, talk, yeah so four to six weeks, that's MCL spring, which is you know, probably they breathe a sigh of relief, but that's that those things linger. And he's had them before. Um, so I'm saying that's your top two seeds in the East. They've got major, major players, you know, on the shelf, not for just days, but these are going to be weeks long. So that's going to make the East even more crunched up, or it could just look like one giant blob of teams that are, you know, b literally between one and six, one and seven. Um, there's only four games in the loss column separating the one seeds and the seven seed, isn't there? Four games. Mm. in the lost column it's just giant blob so uh, anyway i think they're just going to see churn churn and churn and churn and maybe that what that means is, i don't know does that mean your seeding is less important to ask because they're all it's all just going to be luck based about who's who's healthy in may and who's not it's kind of what that sort of starting to feel like is it just could just be luck of the draw this year hey and in many ways the same way that you know phoenix got to the finals last year and they played fantastic in the finals but you know, they got a fair bit of uh, injury luck matchups stuff. So maybe we'll see that again this year. Uh, hard to avoid. It's just hard to avoid, isn't it? Well, looking back, Daz, to the West, and you've got uh, the Warriors and Jazz are both sort of struggling recently. They're both four and six in their last 10 as well. But the teams of the rising are the Grizzlies and the Mavericks. Now, the Mavericks, I think, have had a little bit of an easier schedule, but they're eight and two, and Luke is finally looking in game shape. Uh, which is nice to see in January of a season that he can finally get into game shape and stay after donuts for a few weeks. But as for the Grizzlies, I mean, do you feel like, next question we're about now is, are the Grizzlies ahead of schedule for you or are you uh, about sort of where, where they would expect to be? And should they think about maybe making a move and tweaking this roster and, and pushing themselves up into that tier with the Suns? Oh, they're way ahead of schedule. Right, Jaws 22, Hall is Triple J, he's 22, right? Desmond Bain has basically come out of nowhere. What, he was drafted 30th. Um, by the Boston Discarded, Celtics. discarded by the Celtics. Like, he's not nearly good enough to play 
in the NBA, certainly not good enough for our elite <laughs> franchise with this war chest of assets. We're going to find someone far superior than Desmond Bonnet, right? We're going to sh ship him off for some second rounders and some trade exceptions because we are clever. Um, he's 23, Daz. Sorry about that. So they're way ahead of schedule. Uh, there's no question about it. Until Zaire Williams is getting run, which is fascinating. You know, a guy who couldn't see any action last year is making, you know, making an impact this year. It's just they're way ahead of schedule. Um, and I hope they stay on a path that has them building around Morant, Bain, and Triple J. So that probably means, look, boy, I say it out of one side of my mouth and go, man, if you could package, I don't know, Dylan Brooks and a Steven Adams and get yourself, could you get, go get Miles Turner, mm -hmm. you know, and, and have Miles Turner, Jaron Jackson, you know, another 25, 26 year old. So I go, maybe, the, maybe I'm going to speak out of the other side of my mouth and go, I think they could be opportunistic in either making a consolidation trade, but not one that has them trying to like throw, you know, a whole bunch of assets and assets and young guys to go after, a, you know, a big haul, like half of the Sacramento Kings team or to go get John Collins and, you know, an asset from Atlanta. I'd hate to see them trade a bunch of young guys to try to get into Ben Simmons bidding. So, so long as you preserve jaw, Desmond Bain and Triple J. I'm like, yeah, go for it. If you can think you can, you know, kind of keep guys on the same, on the same timeline, like a Miles Turner or Sabonis. Um, but it'd be, it's the, my question to you, kind of playing it back to you, Daz, is the, um, are they better or worse than last year's Atlanta Hawks? Don't they feel like last year's Hawks no, the, I, I said this to you off air. They feel to me like the 2011 Chicago Bulls. Uh, and I remember the Bulls sort of come out of nowhere that season. That was the Derrick Rose MVP year. Uh, and uh, Jar Morant's playing that well. He'll be in that conversation. I don't expect him to win uh, MVP the way Rose did, which was a sort of a year where no one rose up enough to, to really claim the MVP and then Rose was kind of last man standing, but Jar Morant will be in that all NBA slash um, all NBA first team slash MVP discussion. That's the team they remind me of. And that, that Bulls team was a one seed that year. Mm. They were one seed the year after that. And then of course, uh, Derek Rose does his knee and it all unravels there. You would hope for a happier ending here, but that's, that's the sort of team they remind me of. Um, and that team, uh, you know, that, that, Derek Rose Bulls team made the conference finals, um, took took the first game off Miami as well in that conference finals, then lost four straight. But you always felt that next year they were set up and really going to go toe the -to toe with Miami. And if you remember, the year after that, they were the team that broke Miami's thirty-four game win streak. Uh, so you know they were very very well set up, and I and. I think that's where the analogy comes through to me. I could see the Grizzlies winning a series or two this year and maybe meeting the Suns in the conference finals. And if that's the case, if they can sort of get to that point this year, I think they're going to be perfectly set up to make a run at winning the whole thing within the next two years, uh, whether they make trades or not. So that's why I'd be, I'm a little bit like you. I think it's all gravy at the moment. Like, yeah, if you can pick up Miles Turner without giving up too much, but I mean, apparently Indiana are, 
and I think to some extent rightfully asking for a reasonable package for Miles Turner. Um, it, it might be more interesting to look at a guy like Jeremy Grant in free agency uh, this year, depending on what their cap sheet looks like and what sort of move the guy in the wing. There. Yeah, that's fair enough, Daz. I'm just I'm thinking out loud. I've seen them play quite a bit, actually, because I just, who doesn't love watching Jaw? But um, they are, I'm just trying to look at, you look at the teams like Phoenix, right? He's got Chris Paul and this very, very slow, deliberate, methodical play. And they got, you know, very, very defined roles. You got Golden State, who kind of the unique, you know, it's a very old team. Draymond's old stuff's, you know, never going to be mistaken for a defender. Iguodala plays big minutes. Um, you know, it's a pretty old team. They've got some young guys, right? Like Poole, et cetera. Um, but what, you know, certainly the Lakers, the Clippers, et cetera. But what Memphis has, Daz, is my God, the length and athleticism. They fly around the court, Daz, whether that's Zaire Williams or Jaron Jackson or freaking Brandon Clark is playing, you know, playing pretty good ball. That doesn't sound like it, but John Conchar and Jarrett Culver fly around the place. You know, obviously John Morant is just, he's got springs in his legs. This team flies around as, and if you get, if they can control their turnovers, right. And and um, play together. That's not a team anyone wants to see in, in a, you know, for seven games when you're just out, out athleted at seven, you know, at several positions that makes for a fascinating matchup. Um, you know, they're number one, here's again, sort of some team stats to back up what I see. They are number one in the league in steals, number one in the league in blocks, and they're number two in the league in um, two-point field goals, meaning they are, and field goals attempted, they play at pace, and they run around and steal the ball and block the ball, and they're also number two in the league in offensive rebound, it's offensive rebound percentage, so they get plenty of opportunities. They attack and attack and fly around and go for the ball and kick it back out. And it's just, they just a flurry of activity. Well, what like, I that like too is they've got Tyus Jones comes in and relieves Jar, and he's like the working class man's Jar Morant. Cause I mean, Jar Morant got injured and you sort of thought, oh, well, the Grizzlies are going to take a step back. And then you look out and, the, and they're still, you know, winning six out of eight type of, you know, on, on that sort of pace across the year and that's one of the reasons like they they're not one of those teams that's going to change their style depending on who's coming off the bench and who's running the running the show and things like that they can just stay re as relentless as ever because they're bringing out a player of a similar style and that comes down to the roster building and the coaching that they're receiving at the club yeah and tyus jones is he hit i think it was against golden state just a dead-eyed um, late game three, right in Curry's face. Like he's shooting 39% from three. Like that's a heck of a backup point guard. He's kind of got that campaign, you know, role like in Phoenix where he just, that second unit comes in and is like, all right, you know, game on. It's like, they're not just trying to hold down the fort or they're trying to, they bring it to you. That's a really good point. It, that, that team is fun to watch. Now, at the same time, the super athletic team, right, also prone probably to wild swings, Daz, right? They don't have that consistency, excuse me, of the way, uh, obviously, a veteran team or a, a veteran team like Phoenix or Golden State have. But, man, they are relentless. They are relentless. So what they don't have in, in, um, in experience 
and X's and O's, man, they can make up for in speed and playing above the rim. So, yeah, look, it's too early for them. It's going to be fascinating to see. I, I hear the parallels to the style of, of the Bulls of 2011. I think it's a really good comp. I'm just thinking in terms of current, current modern NBA. It's what we maybe saw, right, was a team like Atlanta. Question, right, did they get too much pressure too quickly? to try and go and get the Bogdanoviches and Gallinari's and did that, you know, did that falsely, right, tie up their roster spots and put them on a different timeline. So that's what I don't want to see Memphis do is go spend a bunch of assets and roster spots and money to get a couple of 30-year-olds to plug some holes because they're not a player or two away yet, Des. What they need is two or three seasons of Bain, Jackson, and – um, job winning and losing together in the playoffs. That's what they need more than anything. Mm. So I'd rather go sit and see, go, go get a Robin Lopez or a Thaddeus Young or, you know, get them a role player that doesn't cost them a lot. Go get a PJ Tucker type, you know, but I don't want to see them go spend big money on, you know, on a, you know, what we've seen happen over the years is got, again, I'll just use Bogdan and, and Gallo as my examples from Atlanta. So I'd like to see them be a little bit more patient and, and just to finish that thought off, I think right you're in a city like Memphis, very young coach is what third season there, uh, you super young superstar in a in a city that's used to grit and grind as a ravenously dedicated and fantastic fan base. They're going to be patient, I think. Daz, I think you're going to see them be, you know, patient with that team. I don't think you're going to see external pressure, you know, from from fans and, and the like to sort of try to get them to go you know bunch put a bunch of chips in the middle of the table so keep keep going is what i'm saying keep going and let the three of those guys bond well the two points i'll make i mean i think memphis are one of the teams that just they'll block out the nba twitter audi i mean if they listened to the the twitter mob they would have blown it up and um yeah when with the mark conley and um and marcus all era and then sort of tried the bottom out and they never really fully went into a, a tank um, they had the sort of uh, two bad years, really, uh, and ended up with Jaron Jackson and Jar Morant, and now they're back up contending again. So that was good to see. The other point I'd make, I think the lesson from Atlanta is be very wary of these teams that have sort of two halves of the same season. And you go back, you remember that at that Miami team with the, when Dion Waiters had that great year, and they started the year, I think it was 8-31, and 31, or something along those lines, and then finish the year like 31 and 8, and there was the, that mirror of, of both. Now, that doesn't work yeah. out in terms of the, the math of it, I don't think, but it, it's it's very close. Like, I think it was 31 and 10, and then, yeah. No, thir- 13 and 28, and then 28, 13, something like that. Yeah, it was yeah, something was like, like that. Yeah. And then yeah. Yeah. everyone went, well, we believe the 28 and 13, you know, and next year, yeah. everyone thought, yeah. including us, I think we had Miami, Pennsylvania, and what happened? No, actually, the 13 and 28 was much closer to where they were. And I think <laughs> yeah. that's with, with the thing with the Hawks. I mean, they were atrocious with under Lloyd Pierce to start last season. And then Nate McMillan comes in, they turn it around. They were the best team in the NBA to finish the regular season last year. You know, come within a couple of games of actually making the finals and who knows what, what they could have done had they've gotten there. And I think, you know, I certainly bought in even more than you did. I am as one seed in the East and I was all in on them. And, um, you know, it just, it hasn't worked. You know, they're, they're closer to the team that we saw at the first half of last year than the team we saw in the second half. So I think that's the lesson for us. Don't, 
you know, if you look at a team that, that has that sort of two halves of the year, there's every chance that the team we saw in the first half is who they are, not necessarily the team we saw in the second half. And then you had the playoffs where the Knicks shit the bed, the, the Sixers shit the bed, and then the Bucks. You know, they pushed the Bucks to six games. But by the way, Giannis uh, did his knee and we thought he was out for the rest of the playoffs midway through that series. So you kind of take it, you look back on it now and you think, oh, you know what? A little bit like that bubble title to the Lakers does. It's not quite holding up uh, in, in oh, bright yeah. lights of day. So no. that's, that's what I'd say. Although I will say this at the, with the East, I think that, that uh, the trade that they made to move Reddish to the Knicks, I think that might be a bit of addition by subtraction there. Not that Reddish was a terrible player or anything like that, but I just think sometimes you can have too many guys and you don't really know who your um, who your rotation should be. And since they've done that, they're playing much better. They've won their last three in a row and they've actually had a couple of decent wins within that. I think one was against your Bucks, another was against the Heat. So I don't quite put a line through Atlanta yet and and with the East and the fact that uh, that, that lower part of the East if they can uh, sneak their way into those that playing sort of conversation um, they could still be a tricky first round matchup uh, particularly for one of those top teams if, if they had some sort of injury worries uh, in the first round so I'm not fully riding the Hawks off yet but certainly does I don't think they're going to be sniffing the one seed no, I had them pegged up there too, Daz. I thought they would win 50-plus games this year as well. I thought their offense would just roll, but their defense has been unbearable. That They give up a ton of points. They don't force any turnovers. They, they, they give up the most assists in the league. I mean, they don't disrupt any passing lanes. They're just, they just kind of let you do whatever you need to do, right? And then they're pretty good rebounding team. They just kind of just stand back there and wait for you to shoot. And then they just can't wait to get back on offense. Well, if you right? pass the ball so, three times, you will get a layup or an open. That's three. exactly right. Yeah, that's, they're thirtieth in the league it. and assists allowed, and that doesn't happen by accident. You, just, you can just whip the ball around wherever you want with them. Um, their defensive rating is last in the league, thirtieth in the league in defensive rating. So that's not going to win you any playoff series. As to Cam Reddish, just on that little minor point, but look, he's a clutch sports client. So end of story there. It's just your classic. Lots of mouth the feeds, and of course, the one unhappy person is the guy who, you know, um, thinks he's Ben Simmons. So, you know, good for you, good for you, clutch, um, well played. So, um, yep, I would say addition by subtraction is my point there. Mm. And you know, I think they do; they still have a lot of unrealized upside because they are still quite young, right? I think DeAndre Hunter probably carries a lot, a lot of that, like his development. Now that he's back in the lineup, um, his development, I think, is probably the key to unlocking what the Hawks might become with Trey, Trey and Collins and, uh, um, and Herter, who looks pretty good this year as well, is that can Hunter become, can he take a couple leaps over the next couple of years and, and give them that rock on the wing? So um, well, the until then, it is really hard to build a contender in the NBA because yeah, they've got Trey Young, who, you know, I don't know where he would place in terms of point guards and things like that, but he's a star player within the league. So you've kind of got your star, but then you go, well, that that's just one one sort of piece of the puzzle. How do you build around that star? And I think the Mavs are sort of asking that same question with 
with Luca and we've seen it with Portland with Dame. It's very, very difficult, isn't it? When that when a guy, particularly when you've got a star that has some warts the way that Trey does. I mean, Trey Young could try as hard as he wants on defense. The real the, the sad reality is he's just too small and the, the, he's going to be hunted on defense no matter who you put around him, no matter what sort of scheme you play. So it's you've got to sort of build that team with that in mind at all times. And that's what ramps the degree of difficulty up um, to try and build the team. And not every team can have a Draymond Green come in the way Golden State have and cover up some of the weaknesses of some of the defenders, particularly Steph Curry is never going to be known as a defensive stopper. But when you've got a Draymond Green there and an Iguodala and guys like this, you can sort of cover it up a little bit better. And this is where then the, the, the pressure goes squarely on your general manager who decided he didn't want to build his team around Luca. He wanted to build it around Trey Young. When you make the one of the trades of the decade, that one, if not the biggest trade or maybe the most risky or controversial trade of the decade, you better be right about it. You better have a clear plan to build around a tiny point guard who's never played defense and probably never will. Is that so? That's where I think that where I do see his hot seatness kind of, you know, coming there with um, with Schlank is that you do that. Well, okay. What's your plan? Show us. Show us how you're going to build a roster. You've thought about this for years. You've had four years to do it, yet you're going and acquiring guys like Gallinari and Bogdanovich who don't play a lick of defense either. So that's why I'm just, I'm a little bit starting to get confused by Atlanta, almost circling back to Memphis as I hope that Memphis has a clearer strategy long-term for what, for what their franchise can be and let them take the time to find out what the combined power of job Bain and Jackson, what does that actually look like? What's that? Well, how does it emerge? What is that style of play? What, what are they great at? And what needs to complement them as a trio rather than what we've seen happen in Atlanta was this knee jerk, throw a bunch of money at some stuff to try and, you know, climb up um, for a temporary shot at a, you know, a top seed and, and realizing, hmm, this doesn't fit with the vision, right? It just doesn't fit. Cam Reddish would never be mistaken for a defender, yet they draft him. So I'm just kind of like, I'm, and, you know, John Collins, I think he was there before Trey, obviously. So he, I think that's kind of a guy that they, you know, that they've kind of developed um, almost in the same timeline as Trey, but uh, one wonders, is he a great compliment either does? So, Anyway, maybe it's what I'm starting to think about um, when I'm looking at uh, the trade deadline coming up. The, this might be the most fascinating team in the league for me, Daz, it, um, is what will the Hawks do? Will they shift gears again? Will they Are they going to punt on this season and just ride it out? Are they going to do a consolidation trade? Are they going to just cut bait maybe on a, you know, on a Gallo and a Bogdanovich and try to play the young guys more. Um, I think you would look at Portland and say, well, that's a bit of a, um, you know, an example of what not to do. I mean, they made the Western Conference Finals in a year when everything just sort of broke their way. And then I think they thought, you know what, we're actually pretty close here. They made all these different moves and then look at, look at where they are now. Like they're further away than they ever were. And I think the Hawks have just got to look at it. And, you know, like I always say, there's nowhere you're at and look at last year and say, you know what? That was an aberration for us. Like that made us a little look better than what we are. At the moment, we're probably not as bad as what we are record-wise. And maybe we can, you know, make some changes 
uh, around the edges of the roster, but I wouldn't be trying to make major changes with this team just yet. I'd say, let's try and get, you know, a good 15, 20 games out of our core group, which we haven't really had. I mean, Hunter's sort of been in and out of the lineup. Capella's been in and out as well this year. Uh, but I also think guys they drafted, maybe they had a different view of how Kevin Herder would uh, develop. Maybe they've had a different view about how Reddish would even develop when he came in uh, than what he actually did. And then some of the, you know, second round guys, you, again, you go to the Golden State example, like if they don't draft Kip Draymond Greenfalls in their lap in the second round, well, what's that franchise? How do they develop? You know, because there was questions, was Monte Ellis or Steph Curry a better player when Steph Curry sort of coming through? Now you look back on that and think it's laughable. So, you know, you yeah. within two or three years, you can have a completely different look on where your franchise is. I wouldn't be making too many major moves, but you've got to understand last year was probably the aberration rather than this year being the aberration, if that makes sense. It does make sense. It does make sense. And that's that's why I hope Memphis stays the course. But I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But I, I, I'd like to see Atlanta take a half, continue to take a half step back and continue to take a breath. And, but I don't know if their ownerships can let them do that. I'd love to see them sell off Gallo, sell off Dang, you know, sell off Lou Williams. Bogdanovich doesn't play much. Daz, like what, how much does he even play? Well, it might be easier said than done moving some of them. 20, like no one's 28 in minutes a game. Like yeah, he makes a lot of money to, to score 12 points a game, right? He makes what, 16, 18 million to shoot 40%, you know, to, to Pat Connaughton, ironically enough, but that's just my point. I go easier said than done, but I don't. They're not going to lose any fewer games. Trey Young, John Collins, Clint Capella, Kevin Herter, um, DeAndre Hunter. That's your five. Pick pick those five. Those are five guys that'll be in any rotation, and then go for your life, right? With with them messing around with stuff mm. is my feeling. I just don't want to see Kevin Knox get a lot of run. I think. No, I think I the tribe has spoken. <laughs> but, um, Last point I'll make on the Hawks and, and the comparison with the Grizz. I'd be stunned if we sit here this time next year and the Grizzlies are 20 and 25, you know, unless they've had major injury problems within that squad. But looking back, even though I was very high on those, I would have been surprised that that they're fallen back. But given how they started last year, maybe you would have looked at them and thought, you know what, actually... We've, we've we've been sucked in by how they finished last season and and forgotten how they started it. Whereas I think the Grizzlies, what they're doing, feels much more sustainable to me. Um, again, with the benefit of hindsight, uh, now we now we look at this Hawks team and understand where they're Qu at. Question without notice: Who's got a? Who, I don't know how to frame it the right way. Who's going to win more All NBA votes in their career, John Morant or Trey Young? <laughs> Oh, does look, you're asking the wrong person because I'm team, team Trey all the way. Uh, I, I still think he's better than Luka Doncic. So, um, no, I'll, I'll say Trey Young, but um, yeah, okay, yeah. We'll, we'll see. I mean, my worry, we... I, I wasn't being glib, I was just we, we've just been kind of this Memphis Atlanta. I've been thinking, I just happen to have been thinking these two teams are so. I just want I want Memphis to go on the anti-Hawks path, right? I hope they don't have that pressure, but I'm I feel like that um, the 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 point guard play, the scoring point guards sort of teams, right? I think they have got they've got a phenomenal upside. That's what I love about these two teams. But 
I'm not sure Jaws' defense is that much better than Trey's at this point, if I'm honest. He flies around and he's much bigger and more athletic, don't get me wrong, but he's not going to be mistaken for a good defender. But um, it just feels like Jaw ja galvanizes in a way that Trey doesn't dare. That's probably, I'm not saying Trey's that's better or worse, but he's, he kind of galvanizes, right? He's, everyone rallies around him. Um, I don't know. It's it maybe does feel like Trey. I do worry maybe that Atlanta was long term health as well. Just the way he. Oh, goes. true. Um, that so from a career point of view, I think Trey's best availability, similar to Marder Rose, I think he will be available. You know, he's been durable. He hasn't been injured. I don't think at all, really, apart from that sprained ankle in the Eastern Conference Finals. Funnily enough. Um, he's been very, very durable across his career. So he's got that going for him. I still, and I just, I liked, I love the vision of, of Trey Young. I think people sort of sell him short because they're always sort of trying to compare him to Steph Curry and he's not really anything like Steph Curry in many ways. He's closer to Chris Paul than he is to Steph, Steph Curry. Um, and he's, he's not really Chris Paul either, but, you know, in terms of the way he sort of runs a game, he's much more of a pure point guard, I guess is the point I'm trying to make, rather than what Steph Curry is kind of like being a hybrid um, for quite a bit of his career, depending on what the Warriors have needed. I think that's fair, yeah. Steph Curry's not even a point guard. I mean, anyone <laughs> characterizes him as such, he's not. Exactly. He's, a sh- he's a shooter. He, he pl- His superpower is off ball, right? So, I mean... Trey does fuck all off ball. He needs it in his hands. You're right. Yep. They're totally different. But exactly. Uh, anyway, I'm. Yeah, I think um, you have to watch last night's a couple of alley oops to Jaw Morant. By the way, Daz, it just they're highlight reel. So yeah, Jaw is winning the style points this year. But um, yeah, I'm I've, I'm with you as if I had to put money on, I'd also say Trey just because of longevity and mm. his passing is his vision and his touch. And his the short rolls and the pocket passing and the anticipation that that Trey plays with is it's supernatural. But man, oh man, oh man, what on earth are they going to do to build the defense? I I, I do not know. But, um, well, two anyway. more questions, Daz, before I let you go. So the first is around we'll, we'll stay in the Eastern Conference around the 76ers. And, you know, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this. Everyone's been talking about it. Everyone's had their opinion. But it's really coming down to now. You know, is it is it mal, uh, general manager malpractice mm. for Daryl Morey to not trade Ben Simmons, given the sort of season that Joel Embiid is? I think it is because Joel Embiid, uh, to me, their, their title window is this year and maybe next year and the year after, potentially. And I don't even think it goes that long. So you're going to waste a full year of Joel Embiid's peak within his career just so you can say, well, I, I, I need to win this trade with Ben Simmons. I just don't, I don't understand it. I can't believe that he hasn't been traded yet. And I can't believe that they're considering getting through this trade deadline without moving him. Oh, this is a... Boy, we just can't help but talk about it, can we? It is, it is, but it is a big, big deal. I, uh, I'm going to gently disagree. I, it's a very fair point. Let me say it this way: I think it's not quite. It would be malpractice to make a trade impulsively that impacts Joel Embiid's prime. Right? Hopefully, his prime lasts 
three, four, five more years, right? Hopefully, hopefully he's past his early career things and many signals are looking like he is. And touch wood, hopefully that's the case, right? Um, so that, that's where I, I'll, I think I will just slightly disagree to say, um, if he had dumped Simmons in November, I think that had been malpractice, right? Um, if he just sort of 50 cents on a dollar. I think what he's needed to see, right? We also didn't, he doesn't have a crystal ball either, right? Because a lot of what Philadelphia needs is what Ben Simmons can do, which is size, defense, ruggedness, um, versatility, and, and some ball handling, right? That's what they need. And some freaking athleticism and some speed, right? They're slow, they're plodding. And so in many ways, it's also been, hey, let's just calm the bleep down. Let's see how this emerges with Ben and his camp, right? So if I just stretched out that lens for say the last three or four months, I kind of think Maury's done, he's done what he kind of had to do, Daz, which is let's just see what we've got here with this team. Let's see what's going on with Ben and his camp. Let's kind of lightly fish to see if a superstar is available and if anyone's got a compulsion to move a Dame Lillard or Bradley Beal. And now though, right? So I think what he's done to this point is probably been okay. The big question I guess I would ask you is that what price does is good enough where you don't, it doesn't look like a malpractice, you know, a, a complete malpractice sell sell low on Ben Simmons. Like, do you have a price where it's acceptable for you? Like you, you can't get Bogdan Bogdanovich and a future protected first for him, right? Like that's no, no, but that's no one's, off, no one's offering that. I mean, this. But I'm, I'm, ju- I'm generally asking, that? what do you think? What is it? Okay, yeah. Go ahead. Well, let, let me push back on this this view that oh, he wanted to see what what they've got. Well, we knew what they had at the start of the year. Like this, there wasn't a lot of new players that came into this team. Like this team was what it was. What it was. Yes, Maxi's played a little bit better than what probably people would have thought. But do you trust Tyrese Maxi in the playoffs? I don't. So I, I think he's going to be a nice regular season player. He's probably not the guy you want longer term for the for a playoff run and for a long playoff run within the Eastern Conference. Uh, ben Simmons was never is not going to play ever again for this franchise. So this view that. Daryl Morey's got on a whiteboard. This is our chances of winning with Ben Simmons. And this is our chances of winning if we trade in X, Y, and Z. Well, your chances of winning with Ben Simmons is a roster where you don't have Ben Simmons because he will never play for that franchise again, no matter what. Okay, so why he's even considering that, I don't know. So to me, now you... And, and I don't think anyone's just offering... Bogdanovich and a pick or anything like that. Like we're and now we're hearing that he's trying to attach Tobias Harris to Ben Simmons, so he's further distressing the asset and then further making it the de- ramping the degree of difficulty up with the salaries that you have to try and match to trade the guys out. And even with that said, you're then hearing and look, you take some of this stuff for a grain of salt, but generally when you're hearing things from shams and woge and that it's being checked and you can sort of take it to the bank to some extent, you know, what, what is unfair about a Harrison Barnes, the Aaron Fox and um, Buddy Heald for, for Simmons and Tobias Harris. Like to me, if the Sixers pull off that trade, their prohibitive favor, well not prohibitive phase, but they, they move into favoritism. 
um, in the Eastern Conference, at least in my view. And I think your chances of winning the title with the roster they have now is zero. Okay, I just cannot see a scenario where they win the title with the roster they have. If you add those three players in and you're basically losing Tobias Harris and bringing three uh, really good players in and three players that fit what you're trying to do there, uh, I think your, your chances go from zero to maybe 5%, 10% if you want to be really, really generous um, because it's hard to win a title. You know, you're never going to go, you know, unless you do a Warriors and get Kevin Durant and go from a 50% chance to a 75% chance type of thing. It's going to be difficult to really move the needle by just doing one trade. But I can guarantee you this, if he sits on his hands and does nothing, they will not win the title and they will have no chance of winning the title. So that's why I think it's malpractice to just sit back and do nothing. And to suggest that the there's some sort of, there's just crappy offer after crappy offer after crappy offer. Well, that's the case. That's on him as well, because why has this guy, he should be working the phones every single day, should have been working the phones every single day from the moment that Ben Simmons said, I'm not coming back in. And he should have made sure that a deal got done where they got some value. Mm. I just think he's got a lot mm. of defenders in NBA media that want to sit there and, and pretend like he's some sort of genius because he was the sort of the father of the analytics movement to some extent. And I just think there are people that are hesitant to criticise him. And I just look at it from the outside looking in and going, everything that's happened has been utterly predictable. And he sat back and he's, he's still saying now, I might not do anything. And to me, that's just, it's crazy. I don't know if it, so this is really interesting. Look, his track record is really clear, right? His track record without going through it all, right, is of a very creative, very aggressive uh, GM, right, who is very risk-taking, right? Creative, aggressive risk-taker who hunts for superstars, right? He hasn't, hasn't always worked, right? Pairing Russ and James Harden, absolute madness, right? It hasn't always worked, but... Um, I also think he was uh, kind of knew his time was limited there, so he's just taken some big swings, right? So uh, his track record, track record, I think, has earned him, I think, benefit of the doubt, right? It's not like he's some, he's not some noob. What I, my counterpoint to all of that is, where the fuck is Ben fucking Simmons? What brand? Like it's where I would defend. You say all of this is predictable. Was it predictable? That a guy making $35 million a year in the prime of his career would just take his teddy bear and disappear mm. and stay disappeared. Well, if I had said to you at the start of the year, Dad, hide behind an agent. If I, I had said to you at the start of the year, I've run the number of games Ben Simmons plays for the 76ers this year, we would have said it at zero and you would have said it's going to be zero. Like uh, I wouldn't have predicted this yeah. 12 months ago. But well, the way yeah. things happened in the end of the last season, he says he's not coming back. He's a clutch client, and clutch will you know? I, you know these players I would have bet zero as play. well. I would have bet zero, but I wouldn't have been shocked if after a month or two, right? Reasonable minds have reasonable grown-up conversations, and we go, okay, let's get to work, right? I would not have been shocked at that, right? As time has gone on, it is every day that that doesn't happen it's it's clear there's zero percent chance he's never ever playing again so yes that is also on maury to get to know 
the clutch camp and to get to know Ben Simmons, but it's, you know, he doesn't have much of a relationship with them clearly, but I, I still does go this, the entire cause of this situation is Ben Simmons. He is the entire cause of his five or six years of refusing to develop and doesn't have benefit of the doubt. He's chosen clutch. He's chosen to be a baby and take one innocuous kind of comment that Doc Rivers said after a game in the heat of the moment that kind of suggests maybe he wasn't perfect as the, the reason to run away and hide and then to double down, triple down, quadruple down, hide behind something around mental health, like to, to insult the intelligence of everyone and to assault people really suffering for mental health. The insult he continues to throw at us is, is unbearable, right? And so that for me is that the, the, the creator of this is entirely Ben Simmons. And so therefore, I don't empathize with the plight to go, do you trade him at the nadir of his value? or try or hold out hope, right? Even if it goes, this season's sunk, Daz, and hold out hope to try to do something in the off season when teams have, a, there'd be far more teams in play and far more assets in play. That's where I kind of go, isn't this season lost already though, Daz? Like what kind of mid-season deal do you do that's going to turn turn the Sixers into a contender? Like that's well, where that's I'm the integrate other new way. players and create a new system and that's right maybe the, the malpractice has already happened that the trade should have happened I, that's what, um it should have been in either in yeah in the first yeah, right before in training camp or in july at the next draft that's, that's I'm right but like, even if you do the trade that i've just suggested and uh, since then the sacramento i've said we're not offering darren fox but i, I don't necessarily believe that i think it just got leaked i don't either and it was yeah you know i don't think they care but I think it's very the degree of difficulty to bring three new players in at this stage of the season. Although yeah. Boston did it back in the day. That was when Boston won the title, bringing Ray Allen and Paul Pierce. I don't think. Oh, sorry, Ray Allen. Kevin oh, Hall Hunt. of Famers. I don't think these. I don't think <laughs> they brought Hall of Famers in their thirties, right? And, yeah. uh, Harrison Barnes are quite yeah. at that level. But you know, the the point is, you can integrate the players at the midway through the season, but it does help when they're Hall of Famers. Um, but I think that's where the mal maybe the malpractice has already happened in terms of I think this trade should have been done in the off season. It certainly should have been done earlier in the season. Um, yeah, has he been working the phones? Has he worked hard enough to try and get this trade over the line? It certainly again outside looking in doesn't seem like that's been the case. And I think look, there's no question that Ben Simmons has a lot of blame for this. I think there's a little bit of blame on Embiid. There's a little bit of blame on Doc Rivers. There's a little bit of blame on on Maury, but if we're sort of carving up the blame pie, it's 90% Simmons and Clutch and maybe 10% some other factors and things that they maybe could have handled better from the 76ers end. But the, the final point is you've got to play the hands you dealt, you know, and yes, he's been dealt a shitty hand as a 76ers GM, but you've got to look at it from a macro point of view and go, we've got a guy that is playing, you know, one of the sort of, three or four guys that's in the MVP conversation this year. And I think it, with, with Kevin Durant's injury, it really now comes down to Giannis, Jokic and, and Embiid. And I don't think the Nuggets, the record's probably going to be good enough to get Jokic over the line for the second year in a row. But Embiid's just playing at that sort of ridiculous a level. And you're going to say, well, we're not going to do a trade this year because, you know, we're not going to get enough back for Simmons or whatever. I don't know what he's thinking he's going to get in the off season 
it's going to be so much better than what he's going to get now, unless they're thinking. And and the latest sort of rumours coming out is, oh, he wants to do a trade for James Harden um, in the off season, do a sort of sign and trade, and send him to the Nets. But I wonder, has he watched James Harden play this year? Because, and not that James Harden's been a complete disaster, but this is a guy on the downward, uh, the downward trend of his career. Does I'm not James sure that's a trade or necessarily gonna, holding I'm out. Gonna, for. I'm gonna, one absolutely correct. Like, forget that. Like, he's an absolute pit. But I go, that's the exact opposite type of player you need paired with Embiid, right? You don't need a fat so who can't defend. Like, that's a, that's what that's not what you need. You need that guy who can shoot off the bounce, the, the threat off the bounce, which allows has to get the pull the defense way out. Uh, I guess that's what Harden can do. So I take that back. De- defense would be a problem, but that actually is that actually is a pretty good skill. That just opens up everything for 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 Embiid. I take that back. But um, can you imagine Embiid with that that clown though in the locker room? Oh, um, maybe I would like to see that show. But I was going to say, is it Harden? Do you think James Harden? Forget the asset value of Simmons right now. But what player or type of player, if you must? Do you think pairs best with Embiid? What is the way to unlock Embiid to take this MVP and have the you know the whole be the greater than the sum of the parts? What type of player is it? Well, you got to look at that. Is it is it James Harden? Is it the guy who just can shoot off the bounce? Well, it's it's Harden on offense and Simmons on defense. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, I need that package deal together. But at the end of the day, they're a defense first team. you know, I'd, the way DeJounte Murray's playing this year, I'd love to see DeJounte Murray go there. I don't think he's... Now, he's obviously not in and of himself going to be equal to Ben Simmons type of thing. Although, from a Spurs point of view, I don't think I'd be giving up DeJounte Murray for Simmons straight up, to be honest with you. Um, mm. But that's the type of play. And he'd probably you need a bit more range on the shooting than what DeJounte's got. But in terms of the, the package of... He's got a nice offensive game. Good, good passer, good, can run an offense, very good defender, like an elite defender at the point of attack. That's sort of what you need, I think. Um, but, you know, ideally a little bit more shooting. That's why I, I do like the Sacramento package in a sense. It's just, I guess the question on that Sacramento package is, oh, what are you getting out of De'Aaron Fox and how does De'Aaron Fox oh. get? But Buddy Heald, I don't know what's happened to Buddy Hill. I mean, Buddy Hill took two shots the other day and played 20 plus minutes for Sacramento. I don't know what's happening in Sacramento. Alvin Gentry. He hasn't played. Like, he hasn't played one meaningful NBA game. A month ago. He's got a big paycheck. He just is a gunner. Like Buddy likes to get. Buddy wanted to be the star, right? 18 months ago. Buddy's up and down and up and down, and he's aged five years in the last three. Like. Buddy's worse, but I wonder with Buddy Heald if he gets there and looks at their record and goes, We're 26 and 19, not 19 and 26. Maybe I'm going to accept my role on this team and and see if we can make a deep play for him. And you got Harrison Barnes there, he's won an NBA title, so he's a a good guy to have on both ends of the court. You know, does he's not a star on either end of the court, but just a good solid player. Uh, but I guess the fox piece of that would be more of the the question I'd have um, because he yeah, hasn't developed the way we would have hoped. But just as you talk it through, right, you just go, your title odds just decreased by doing that. Like, I just think if you're Daryl Morey, you're there to win titles. And I, well, I, I still think, think how have they decreased from, from 0% 
this year. Because again, you're not Ben Simmons is not playing for this team. Like if Ben Simmons was any chance to come and play for this team, I'd agree with you, but he's not. So you've, you're going without Ben Simmons. So well, I see, think those why, three players are better think, than Tobias Harris. This is what I think where rather than take Simmons and sell him for two or three smaller assets, right? Which by definition to me decreases my title odds. I'm sorry, you're not winning a title with your best two players are, are is De- your number two players De'Aaron Fox does. He can't defend a lick. He's not an offensive threat, you know, the way a Trey Young is. Who's we, Trey Young's going to be difficult to win a title around, right? So forget De'Aaron Fox being a number two on a title team. He'll get torched on a defensive end. He's not smart enough of offensive net. He just, that ain't happening. So Daryl Morey is not that dumb to go when the best player coming back is De'Aaron Fox. And he, you're right, though, it is malpractice because Ben Simmons' value has been low and it's kind of just maintained. It's still low. That's why I think you're seeing him talk about Tobias Harris. He goes, how can I do this to get myself an asset that's better than ben, at least as good as what I think Ben Simmons was last year to help be the second best player on a title team? That's what, that's what Daryl's going. How do I get a number two on a title team? That's his only question. But I think Harris that's is bloody... addressing the asset. I don't think he's adding to the asset. He's just a bad contract at this point. Well, that's why. Well, yeah, he's overpaid. He's definitely overpaid, right? But he's he's a solid NBA player. He'll get you twenty and five. He's definitely overpaid, though, right? But there's no point trading him for Harrison Barnes. They're the same player, or they're basically the same player. Heck, I'd probably take Barnes. He's probably a better defender. If I'm honest, but um, but my point is right. I think what he's saying is that can I trade Simmons and Tobias Harris and get myself a I don't know right if if Russ Westbrook Russ Westbrook from two years ago or um, can I throw Maxi in a pick and get Bradley Beal right That's what I think he's doing is how if I have to create fifty million dollars of salary to get a forty million dollar player That's what I think he's meaning by that. Because he wants to get someone to be a, who can be a number two on a title team. That's what I think Daryl Morney's his entire career in Philly will be defined by the ability to find a number two to Joel Embiid because he doesn't have him on the roster. So when you stri- so that's the other thing where perhaps again the offseason allows him to as is let the season play out. Let's see how valuable Tyrese Maxey has become. See what happens with his asset. Let's see what Tobias. Tobias Harris is the same player every single year. Like one of the most consistent players in the league. So his value is going to be the same. Because I think he has, has a better chance to get a number two guy in the off season. And I think the season's cooked anyway. That's, that's what I think. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I mean, I, my view is he's probably already missed the boat on this season. I think you're probably right uh, in terms of what's out there, but I, I, my general view is I don't think he's worked hard enough to try and get this trade done. And I think part yeah. of it's just been thumbing his nose at that there's been a sort of a battle of egos and he's thumbing his nose at Ben Simmons and Clutch. And it's like, if you really want to win the title, you had to make you had to make sure this trade was done in November. You know, not not waiting now yeah. for five minutes to midnight. Um, and seeing, and the little secret, Bradley Beal hasn't played that well this year and neither has Dame Lillard. So if they're, they're, they're the two guys that you're you holding out hope for. 
be careful what you wish for because you might end up with them. And um, I'm not convinced that makes them get number two yeah. player on the tile team. And, the, and Dame Lillard, there's all sorts of red flags there. And um, since he's gone out, Portland have started winning some games as well, Daz. So uh, that's something to yeah. watch. Look, last question before I go. Let's have a quick bit of fun. Let's talk about the Lakers. Can the Lakers save this season, Daz, or is, or is are we just going to continue to laugh at just how pathetic um, their, their season and watch, watch them get in? I mean, the one thing I will say for the Lakers, they'll at least be in the playing uh, tournament because they're not going to be so bad to drop into the sort of trailblazers level. But uh, can you see them turning this ship around even when no. AD comes back? Or you think it's like me, you think it's done? No, it's done. <laughs> it's way done. It's cooked. It's It's... Done. No. <laughs> you want me to expand on that? <laughs> Is I, I'd be happy to. Like, uh, they have nine centers. All their centers are 37 years old. Uh, they don't have any defenders because they traded them all away. Caruso, KCP. Uh, they don't have any bench scoring because they got rid of that on Trez Harrell. Uh, they got rid of their bench scoring, Dennis Schroeder. Uh, Anthony Davis is reminding us that he's not really sturdy. Um, Russ he Westbrook wasn't playing that exact, well before we get injured anyway. Just quite. wasn't wasn't playing well. It hurt, not hurt. Effort, not effort. Couldn't shoot. Right, just not playing well. LeBron um, is still playing at an All NBA level for sure, but in a very different way. Right, he's ground bound. He's not attacking as much. He's shooting more three pointers than ever. But again, he's so elite at running an offense that it's, I, you almost can't say, I can't say one bad word about him on the floor, right? Mm-hmm. All my criticisms of him happen, happen off the floor. And, but he's 37 and he just, uh, we've talked about it before. He just cannot do what he did for so many years was like he did particularly second stint in Cleveland, which is just um, because he's so athletic, he can just carry a team in crunch time. Mm-hmm. Um, with eight random guys and, and pull these games out and win 53 games. It ain't there. The gear's not there. The energy's not there or the willpower's not there or he's just self-preserving and he's just settling for pull-ups and three-pointers and a completely flummoxed offense. So um, they don't have defense. They don't have, they can't, they don't have any shooters. They don't have any athletes. They're very, very old. And yeah, other than that, uh, yeah, Anthony Davis might come back, but uh, no, they are they are not the bubble Lakers. Well, something they are, to they watch, are not. Too. They've played eight more home games in the away games, so their schedule is about to get much tougher than what it has done. Uh, and I think, look, we said this at the start of the year. The, the worry about the Lakers was the fact that they they got a defense first coach. They brought in offense only players. They sent out any guys that were good, a lot of guys that were good defenders like Caruso, like KCP. I mean, even Kuzma. Kuzma's having a really good year in Washington uh, this year and was a decent defender. That, that title team in the bubble was built all around defense. And you ship all your defensive players out and then bring in um, nothing but offensive players. And I don't think Vogel knows how to coach this team uh, for starters. And then you look around, you know, they, they're all well past their best anyway. I mean, like Charles Barkley said, this team would have been a one seed in 2010. But uh, in 2022, 
they're struggling and and not surprisingly and i think it's only going to get worse for them i don't think i don't see them turning around and things getting better um i could see them dropping no, that sort of nine ten slot because yeah. the the t wolves have been playing a bit better lately i could see them uh, uh, passing them the clippers are kind of staying afloat at 500 despite all the injuries that they've had so you expect they're going to be better as well uh, than, than what the Lakers will be. So they could fall into that sort of 9-10 slot and be out in the first game of the of the playing tournament. Um, and then I guess there's some real questions for them about where they go with this roster in future. Um, with a, with, you know, you can't really build around a 38-year-old superstar and the guy they're supposed to be building around is Anthony Davis and he doesn't seem to be too interested. I think he's, he's been a bit like Drew Brees does. He's won his title and now he's ready to sit back and smoke cigars. Yeah, no, I, I've hated AD since Drew left New Orleans, right? He's just he's proven he's a baby. Don't get me started. He just needed he needed someone to win a title for him and take the credit. Yay, well done, Anthony. He's a he's an infant. He's an emotional infant. Don't get he, he and Ben Simmons can go play together. That'd be hilarious. But um, no, this this they are full blown shit show. When the world that we live in, right, you can look at an elephant, call it a rhinoceros, and, and then yell at me for saying the elephant's not a rhinoceros. When you look at this roster, it's a pile of shit that was never going to work. And now they're blaming the coach. That's the world we live in, where ESPN and um, all the sycophants and this pathetic, disgusting American way of life where lies are real and reals are real as lies, are reality is lies. They go, you're blaming the coach for this pile of shit roster. That's full-blown shit show. That's shit show. And LeBron is the architect. I go, how did LeBron, yeah, don't care. He, mm. he signed off on it, didn't sign off on it. He caused it, didn't cause it. He's man love for Russ, you know, GM LeBron, screwed player LeBron again, as you love to say. And, and now they're going to blame the coach. Did you realize, Daz, that the coach who just won the title he forgot how to coach. Did you, do you, that's what well, they have think us all he believe. Can coach. I think the thing with Vogel is I think he can coach certain rosters. And I think this is probably the same of any coach. I, I don't know any coach that would be able to coach well in this roster. But Frank Vogel, it's just, this is like oil and water, giving him a roster like this and expecting him to, to produce that's anything. He's all about defense. Well, Eric Spolstra a, might get two extra games out of this team, but that, that, that the roster is a pile of shit. Mm. Like that's what I'm saying. That you're just not gonna, you're not gonna change your team by changing the coach. Like that's the they got a roster problem. That's their problem. So, full blown shit show. It'd take a miracle. Like it'd take a miracle. Like Russ hitting forty percent of his threes the rest of the way. You know he's like shooting like forty six percent. Um, and you know he's shooting a better percentage than Steph Curry. That's what I always read on Twitter. So. That is that is beautiful. <laughs> I know. But Steph plays with joy, and so he's an MVP candidate. It's so much joy. There's joy. You know, he smiled. Steph's um, been struggling uh, since breaking the record, but uh, I wonder if if he needs the all-star break to sort of get out of the funk. Um, uh, probably the, the longest shooting funk he's been in in his, in his career thus far. He's, he's not, uh, yeah. not shooting the ball well. Look, no. So, look, there's, we might leave it there, mate. There's a number of teams I want to – I mean, I want to do a deep dive on the Raptors – uh, next time uh, we want to look at the Celtics. I know you're you're dying to discuss mm. what's going on there in Boston. Um, I think the Hornets are always good 
team to talk about as well. So we might try and catch some of those teams as well as uh, maybe if we, I might wait till the Jazz get a few players back before we do a bit of a dive on them and maybe keep an eye on the Mavericks and see if their sort of recent resurgence is something that uh, that can be sustained into a playoff run in the Western Conference as well. So a few teams doing well and quite interesting that we didn't talk about uh, today. And maybe we'll also keep an eye on the Tankathon rankings, Daz, and see if anyone can catch the Orlando Magic who are just streaking out ahead at the moment, um, looking at that number. And and, yeah, just, and the, the last little ribbon around that last point uh, wasn't long ago, maybe last week or two, that both... Um, Jeff Weltman and John Hammond were extended the front office of the Orlando Magic, just got contract extensions. That tells you what you need to know about the Disney team. Yay! Yay, nice guys. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, look, keep dodging those, keep dodging those wrenches and keep dodging COVID for another week. All right, buddy. And hopefully we'll uh, we'll we'll meet up again same time next week and discuss another good week NBA. Always a pleasure, Daz. That was good fun. See you All soon, right. pal. Thanks, mate. Bye. Take care. Bye. Michael comes away with it. Cliff Levingston took the charge, and there was no foul call.